Today is March 29th, 2021, and our first story, vaccine passports have arrived here in the United States. Much like what we've seen in Asia, people can download a smartphone app that will allow them to prove they've been vaccinated in New York. The Biden administration, according to a story from The Washington Post and CNN, is preparing for a national rollout of what they call a credentialing system. Though many call this a vaccine passport, it's ignited a fierce debate over whether or not this is authoritarianism, where people would be demanding to see your papers in order for you to function in society, while others say it's a much needed program to prove you have been vaccinated and we can end this pandemic. In our next story, chaos erupts in Oregon after a right-wing rally makes its way through a city and Antifa shows up to counter. Anti-fascists attack vehicles, and in one instance, a man emerges, is attacked, and draws his weapon in defense. Now, the police detained this man, leaving conservatives outraged, and many Antifa were angered when they learned he, in fact, wasn't even arrested. In our last story, media layoffs once again. Jacobin Magazine, a socialist publication, says that the layoffs at the Huffington Post prove that there is doom ahead for journalism. But in fact, this is good news. These rage bait activist outlets have been damaging journalism in this country for too long. And it's about time we returned to core legitimate and local reporting. Hopefully we'll get that done. Before we get started, leave us a good review. If you like the show, give us five stars, leave a positive comment. It really, really does help. Now let's get into that first story. New York has officially launched their vaccine passport. And now we're getting reports that the Biden administration is preparing a national coronavirus vaccine passport scheme for Americans. The idea would be if you want to board a plane, you got to have your vaccine passport. You want to go to the movies, you want to enter a store, you have to have your vaccine passport, much like we saw in Asia last year. The idea would be that you'd have a smartphone app. You would scan a barcode proving you have been vaccinated. Now, the government of the United States can't just do this. They can propose the vaccine passport system. It's going to rely on a coalition between private sector companies, for-profits and non-profits. And it seems like this will happen. Look, first they said you have to wear a mask if you want to enter. And everyone said, fine, we'll wear a mask. It's no big deal. But when that happened, everybody started saying the next step is going to be mandatory vaccination. And guess what? We're actually entering we're, en- we're entering this world of mandatory vaccinations. In Europe, European EU leaders are demanding a vac- vaccine passport because we need it now more than ever. The vaccine is our opportunity to put COVID behind us and finally move forward. Now, my friends, I'm not in any way opposed to the vaccine. Not at all. In fact, I will even go as far to say we need to talk about the philosophical ramifications of a vaccine passport because A lot of people are going to have a knee jerk reaction saying it's the worst possible thing imaginable. No, the authoritarianism is the government mandate is and the cultural enforcement is. But vaccines are pretty good. Now, should this be done in our country, restricting people from being able to live and work and consume and go about their normal daily lives? I got to say, I honestly don't think so. And it's because I had a conversation with someone the other day, a regular guy. And he just said, listen, if the vaccine is available to you, And it will keep you safe. And there are people that choose not to get it, even though they could. Why should everyone else have to deal with that? In which case, well, many people are questioning why we would even need a vaccine passport in the first place. If people are choosing not to get it, well, then they're the ones who are going to be hurt for the most part, right? 
Well, it's ideas like this that are leading many people to believe that the vaccine passports are for something else that I can't tell you. Honestly, I think it's just most people prefer safety over freedom. And that means you get the vaccine and they want to know you got the vaccine because it makes them feel safe. I'm not as concerned with the vaccine passport as I am concerned with the trajectory of our culture to always err on the side of safety. In an op-ed recently, Peter Hitchens said he got the COVID vaccine not because he wanted to help anyone else, because he was selfish and because he knew they were forcing him to do it due to these vaccine passports. This authoritarianism and the fear and the social enforcement to me is scary. When I went to Venezuela, they required that I had a vaccine passport. These things have existed for some time. And I got to tell you, I'm a rather libertarian type person. So I don't like the idea of hard social enforcement. But if a different country said, you want to come into our country, here's our requirements. Okay, well, what am I supposed to say to that? I want to be a guest in their country. Here in the United States, I think we have to be treated equally under the law as per the 14th Amendment, which makes this whole argument very interesting. But we have to get into it and see exactly how this is going to play out. It's not so simple to say for the majority, it's going to be a requirement that you actually get a shot. In some cases, they're saying you just have to be COVID negative. So you can actually go and get a test. And then your vaccine passport actually isn't even about a vaccine. So there's a lot of nuance here. And listen, by all means, have your opinions for or against or whatever. I just want to make sure I'm presenting the information as accurately as possible as possible. And then I'll give you my philosophical uh, answer to this, because I'll put it this way, not to bury the lead. The problem we face is not about vaccine passports. It's about the, the, the disunity. This country is so fractured and there is such a lack of trust between the polarized factions. No one's going to trust whatever system you implement, be it vaccine passport or anything. No one's going to want to sacrifice themselves for the country, for the, these, their, their fellow countrymen, if they don't trust those who, who represent them, which to me says the bigger issue is actually we're not unified. But we'll get into this. Before we do, head over to TimCast.com to become a member and get access to exclusive members-only podcast episodes with people like Jeremy Hambly, comedian Aaron Berg, Jody Shaw, formerly of Smith College, comedian Chrissy Mayer, Kurt Schlichter, Jack Murphy. We have a bunch of really amazing members-only segments where we talk about a bunch of very important political and philosophical and cultural issues. So make sure you check it out. And when you become a member of TimCast.com, you're helping support my work in the event that they shut me down or suspend uh, suspend my channels. But I will tell you this as well. We're going we're going all the way with TimCast.com. We're going to be hiring writers very soon. We've already, we've already started talking with some, and we may have articles popping up as soon as next week. We're going to be bringing on ind- independent media producers, news personalities, and we're going to be doing a lot of work. And the news site is launching soon, and it's all thanks to you. Let's do this. Now, bef- let's jump right into the story. Before we do, make sure you hit the like button, no- hit the notification bell, subscribe, and share the show if you really like it. Let's read from Insider. They say, The Biden administration is developing a national coronavirus vaccine passport scheme for Americans. The Biden administration is working on a vaccine passport program that would allow people to prove they have received coronavirus vaccination in order to enter venues which have been closed due to social distancing requirements, such as offices or movie theaters, The Washington Post and CNN reported. Five officials who spoke anonymously told The Post that the White House is pushing efforts by federal agencies and private companies to develop the scheme. Vaccine passports have been widely touted around the world as a way for various industries to start returning to normal whilst minimizing the risk of COVID-19 outbreaks and could be an entry requirement for anything from sports arenas, music venues, or restaurants to international travel. 
The passports will likely take the form of a scannable code displayed on smartphones. Private developers told the post, while users without smartphones will be able to print codes onto paper. New York has already announced an app called the Excelsior Pass, which will allow a user to prove they have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or have recently tested negative Forbes reported. Now, that's very, very important context. I want to make sure that when we're having this discussion about whether or not people should be forced to be medicated for a certain reason, we are talking about the fact that you might just be able to get a negative test. The problem, well, we've seen that many of these tests are fairly inaccurate, so it's creating ultimately kind of a, I guess, ethical and moral conundrum for people. Do you choose security or freedom? The problem is social enforcement, not government mandate. We often talk about how the government can't make you do this. The government can't make you do that. They don't have to if they control the media and society mandates it. But I want to talk about the true nature of authoritarianism. Let's read on first and get the full context. They say one official suggested to CNN that vaccine passports could be required for people returning to work. The White House declined to comment to the post on record, but pointed to comments made by Jeffrey Zinz, the White House coronavirus uh, coronavirus response coordinator, who said at a press briefing in March, As we increase the number of people vaccinated, we know some people may have a need to demonstrate that they are vaccinated. The private sector and not-for-profit coalitions uh, are already beginning to work on this. Our role is to help ensure that any solutions in this area should be simple, free, open source, accessible to people both digitally and on paper, and designed from from the start to protect people's privacy. The idea of a vaccine passport is gathering momentum worldwide, too. Similar schemes are being considered by the United Kingdom's government, and the European Union has announced plans for a digital green certificate, which will prove whether a carrier has been vaccinated, tested negative, or recovered from the virus. With this certificate, we aim to help member states reinstate freedom of movement in a safe, responsible, and trusted manner. European Commission Ursula von der Leyen said at a press conference earlier in March, the Ada Lovelace Institute, an NGO, said 30 countries around the world, including China and the UAE, are considering or already using a vast vaccine passport scheme as they seek to return to normal life. Insiders Mariana Gunot reported. Now, in New York, it's here, baby. You want to be in New York? You want to live in New York? Get your vaccine passport because it is happening now. USA Today reports, New York launches nation's first vaccine passports. Others are working on similar ideas, but many details must be worked out. Starting Friday, New Yorkers will be able to pull up a code on their cell phone or printout to prove they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that causes it. The first in the nation's certificate certification, sorry, called the Excelsior Pass, will be useful first at large scale venues like Madison Square Garden. But next week will be accepted at dozens of events, arts and entertainment venues statewide. It already enables people to increase the size of a wedding party or other catered event. The app, championed by Governor Andrew Cuomo to support the recovery of industries most affected by the pandemic, is funded by the state and available for free to businesses and anyone with vaccination records or test results in New York. Like an airline boarding pass, people will be able to prove their health status with a digital QR code or quick response machine readable label. They'll need to download the Excelsior Pass app, enter their name, date of birth, zip code, Answer a series of personal questions to confirm their identity. The data will become will come from the state's vaccine registry and also will be linked to testing data from a number of pre-approved testing companies. The New York system built on IBM's digital health pass platform is provided via blockchain technology. So neither IBM nor any business 
will have access to private medical information. An entertainment venue will simply scan the QR code and get a green check or a red X. The new pass is part of a growing but disjointed effort to provide vaccine passports or certifications so people won't have to hang on to a dog-eared piece of paper, worry about privacy issues or forgeries, or fork over extra cash to prove they're not contagious. In addition to IBM open source computer, open source computer experts who provide code anyone can use for free have been developing such systems, as have retailers like Walmart, which is also offering digital proof of vaccination to anyone who gets a shot in one of its pharmacies. The biggest challenge will be linking these systems together, so people won't need different apps for every venue or use. Open source computer advocates have already been collaborating to figure out how to piece together the different pieces of the puzzle, said Brian Bellendorf, executive director of Linux Foundation of Public Health, an industry-driven consortium that builds open source software. It's really the nerds getting together in kind of a nerd UN to piece this all together. New York hasn't worked out the connectivity issues yet, but hopes to eventually, as well as linking tickets to the Excelsior Press. So people going to an event at Madison Square Garden, for example, will be able to link their admission and health passes rather than fumbling with multiple apps. Another hurdle will be finding a consistent set of standards. So what counts as an acceptable test or vaccine in one state or country will count in another. There are at least two competing sets of standards being developed globally to allow secure access to information about vaccination status, particularly for international travel. They say New York is using its own its own established by the state health department. But it's not clear what will happen if or when Connecticut, New Jersey and other states establish their own certification systems. Well, Europe is already planning this. The digital green certificate is planned to be interoperable and non-discriminatory. Health healthcare IT news reports European leaders call for EU wide vaccine passport as a matter of urgency. Let me show you something and we'll talk about the politics of this in a tweet from Harry Littman, who is the L.A. Times legal affairs columnist. He said vaccine passports are a good idea. Among other things, it will single out the still large contingent of people who refuse vaccines, who will be foreclosed from doing a lot of things their peers can do. That should help break the resistance down. Charlie Nash says, quote, that should help break the resistance down and shows a picture of Star Wars character Moff Tarkin. That's right. Break the resistance down. It's a really weird authoritarian way to phrase things. The resistance. Listen, I have been vaccinated by uh, a, a bunch of different vaccines. Got them all here in my left arm. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Venezuela. I've been to Morocco. And uh, I am grateful that these things exist. There are a lot of crazy diseases, man. When I went to, uh, so when I was planning on going to Venezuela, I think I had to get like three shots. They gave me a card, a vaccine passport. They wrote down and, and signed it saying I had been vaccinated for a certain, uh, for certain diseases, notably yellow fever. That's what you needed, I believe. And when I landed, I had to show that card with my passport. To me, it was no big deal. I did not want to get yellow fever. But there are some very serious political questions about what it means for Americans living in America. James Melville, verified Twitter user and described as Scotland Communications Sponsorship and Social Media Consultants, freelance writer, talking about the UK specifically, says a vaccinated person can still get COVID, but are likely to have reduced symptoms because of the vaccine, but they can still potentially transmit the virus. So therefore, a vaccine passport makes absolutely no sense. It's an interesting point. And it's the point I was bringing up early on in a conversation with some guy at a bar the other day. And he just said, listen, he, was, he, he said he got his, his, his first vaccine. He was about to get a second. He was excited for it and glad to put it all behind him. But his, his attitude was very much, if you don't get the vaccine, 
and you can, why should I be bothered by that? If he wants to go to the store and he's got a vaccine, he's fine. If you want to go to the store and you don't, that's fine. That's your problem. If people who get the vaccine can still catch COVID, but the symptoms are reduced, that's basically what Fauci has been saying, I believe. Uh, well, then the people who don't get the vaccine are the ones who get sick. I guess what's the big deal? I have another question, though. I have, an, I have another uh, philosophical uh, question about this. I understand the seriousness of COVID, but it is not airborne Ebola. Why don't we have vaccine passports internally within the United States for every other disease, especially ones that are, I mean, more serious? Why don't we treat every other disease this way? Maybe that's the point here. Maybe that's, I guess, the goal is we'll start with COVID and then eventually your vaccine passport will include a major list of all the vaccines you've gotten. We need to talk about the ramifications of this and, and, and why we're doing why, why this is happening. Let me show you the story first from WUSA 9. A lot of people are pointing out that vaccine passports should not be allowed until the FDA actually approves the COVID-19 vaccine. Or may, I mean, a lot, and I'll point out a lot of people are saying no to the vaccine passport. Don't get me wrong. But it's important to point out that according to WUSA 9 CBS News, the F FDA has not approved any of these vaccines. So I've been vaccinated when I traveled. I got a bunch of vaccines. I got them when I was a kid. And um, sure, I got a little passport card. But those were approved by the FDA. And the FB FDA is a regulatory agency to make sure that these vaccines are safe. In my opinion, New York issuing a vaccine passport for something that has not yet passed the FDA, they're only under an emergency use authorization. I'm not a fan of this idea. Now, listen, I am, uh, I am a, a fan, proponent of vaccine technology. And we're hearing now mRNA vaccine technology, which they're using for COVID, might be able to cure cancer. No joke. Legit. The, the way the mRNA vaccine works is it effectively programs some of your cells to produce spike proteins. Your body then attacks that your immune system will attack those spike proteins, destroying them. Eventually, the vaccine, I, I could be wrong about this, so definitely fact me on this. My understanding is that it's not a permanent DNA change or anything like that. It affects the RNA in a certain location temporarily, but basically gives your immune system the understanding that we got to stop these things right here. When the COVID virus enters your body and it's got spike proteins, your immune system will attack and destroy them. It's a very, very interesting and brilliant technology, in my opinion. However, I do think it should go through rigorous testing. I understand why we have an emergency use, use authorization, and I got no problem with that. If people want to get this vaccine and resume daily life, that's great. They should have the opportunity to do that, assuming everybody you know, finds this to be safe. But the emergency use authorization is not approval. Mandating people take something that's not been approved yet, in my opinion, is wrong. Now, here's the story. They say two viewers reached out to the Verify team about the FDA's emergency use authorization known as an EUA and how it differs from full approval. During a Verify Ask the Experts Facebook Live held on March 5th, a viewer asked us to look into the FDA approval process. When will the FDA approve the vaccine and why have they not already? Loris Wesley commented. Another viewer sent us an email. Is it correct that the COVID-19 vac vaccines are not yet approved by FDA and are only approved for emergency use? Why haven't the COVID-19 vaccines been fully approved by the FDA yet? What is the criteria that has been met for vaccines to be fully approved by the FDA? How long does it take for a vaccine to be fully approved by the FDA? We took your question straight to the experts. 
Uh, they say, is it true the vaccines haven't yet been fully approved? Sources, the FDA, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Dr. William Schaffner, Dr. Arnold Monto. There are two ways to get the vaccine greenlighted by the FDA, the EUA, emergency use, or by applying for a license through a biologics license application. The only difference really between the emergency use and the licensure is that volunteers are observed for a longer period of time to see the duration of protection and if there might be rare adverse effects that occurred down the road. In layman's terms, Dr. Manto said that follow-up period after complete vaccination is typically longer when considering full licensure. After the clinical trials are finished, the difference between the EUA and full licensure for the public's information or knowledge is basically the duration of follow-up or, safe, uh, or safety, not efficacy. Efficacy, efficacy requirements are the same. For the EUA, it's an average of two months. But for a license, six months are required. The spokesperson for the FDA backed that up and said they usually expect manufacturers to provide data from study participants from at least six months after vaccination when applying for a license. So between the EUA and a license, the EUA was the quicker option to get vaccines out to save lives. Think of it as the fast-tracked version rather than the standard one. I understand that. And I understand that people want to get the vaccine. A lot of people are saying, just let me take the vaccine. There have been rare adverse side effects, however. There have been many, many stories about people getting the vaccine and then later dying. I am not a fan of these stories. And I have to wonder if the media is causing us massive damage, which brings me to the bigger picture on freedom, security, authoritarianism, and the fracturing of our country. During World War II, we had the U.S. Office of Censorship. We absolutely did. They had a Latin slogan. Silence accelerates victory. Loose lips sink ships. Ideas that we as Americans think are abhorrent. Censorship is wrong, especially and particularly from the government. But during World War II, we accepted this. Why? Because we were not completely, but mostly unified. I understand we've gone through various periods of tumult, but we as Americans believed in America and were rallying around this idea of this country and what we believed in. And many of us, most of us came together, not completely, not always. That would be insane, but enough. Americans believed in the country and they believed that although there were many problems with, you know, politics and there's always been complaints about politics, there was a lot more trust in that system. The real problem I see today isn't vaccine passports. If we were a unified country of shared values and we knew the Democrats held the same values as us and the Republicans held the same values as us as regular Americans, conservatives and liberals knew that although we disagree on wedge issues, issues we most mostly agreed on protecting each other, fighting for the common good. If that were the case, vaccine passports would be welcomed. People would say, absolutely, the government has our best interests, but they don't believe that. And I guess the, the saying goes, if you truly believe the government, for the most part, has your best interests at heart, you haven't been pay paying attention to history. The government has the best interests of itself. Now, what does that mean? Right now in a hyperpolarized situation, I think that the U.S. government wants to make sure they maximize the amount of people whose lives are saved. I genuinely believe this, not because they care about you because they care about their strength and the system as a whole. The more people who survive and keep working, the better off the U.S. system will be. And that means wealthy individuals and the political elites will live more comfortably if more people survive. But it also means that 
Typically, they understand the idea of collateral damage. Collateral damage, as we've seen, just basically means they're willing to sacrifice a certain amount of people if it means, you know, actually, I'll put it this way. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I'm not a fan of that idea. I believe we must always strive to protect the individual, give them adequate and proper information, and thus they will decide what's right for them. And then we can be we'll be better. If people are deciding what's right for them, that from the bottom up, I think things will improve. It's funny that so many socialists want, you know, the the means of production controlled by the worker. In a sense, it's very similar. I just think the problem with socialism is you need a centralized authority to enforce those ideas. It doesn't work out all that well. So ultimately, do I trust major multinational corporations rushing out of vaccine? Not really which is why I wait for, va- for FDA approval. I have no problem getting the vaccine, but I'm going to wait for one reason. I have food allergies. Legit, I have food allergies. So when they initially reported, y'all should wait, then I said, okay, then I will. And they also mentioned that pregnant women should wait, and they should. There was a story about a woman who had a miscarriage re- just after getting her vaccine, and she was very far along. And many people said, it's not a secret. They, you, you, look, they, they, in the, the press talked about this. Here's the best piece of advice I can give you. Talk to your doctors about what's right for you. Now, here's the problem I have with vaccine passports. I understand the idea that if we come together as a nation and we trust in the system, well, maybe dumb. But if we did have reason to trust in the system more, then I don't see a problem with all of us coming together to fight for a common American good. However, I've seen the stories I've seen the medical advice. I've seen the warnings from the companies themselves. If you have food allergies, then you might want to hold off. Okay, I heard that. And I said, I'm going to hold off. The last thing I want is to deal with a very serious allergic reaction. I'm not about all that. But now you tell me I'm not going to be able to go into a movie theater or a store because of some medical issue. Well, then I should get an EEOC exemption. No joke. The the equal. So, well, maybe not EEOC, but a civil rights defense, meaning you cannot tell me that I can't go shopping because I have a a, a counterindication or I have been warned that there is a reason why I personally have to wait a little bit to see how the vaccine goes before I get this shot. I have family friends telling me about people who have gotten the vaccine and ended up with a very serious adverse reaction due to some of these complications. I don't think that most people will face them. I've, I've been reading the news. I've read a ton of it. I actually am sick of the hyperbolic, exaggerated stories about vaccine injury. Listen, medicine has side effects. You, you know, I, 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 I've gone to the doctor for a variety of things throughout my years. Travel, and let's like, put it this way, traveling all over the world, all right? You eat a lot of crazy things in a lot of crazy places. You got to take care of yourself. And there's medications. They have adverse side effects. It's a reality. But what happens is we get a news story. And it's like, I read one headline and it was like, man takes vaccine, dies shortly thereafter. And I'm like, whoa. And I read it and it was like four weeks after getting the vaccine, the 70 year old man died. And I'm like, come on, dude. That's the kind of nonsense you get from the media that I just can't stand. And I also think there's an element of people were complaining about the vaccine because Trump is the one who pushed it through. Biden took credit for it. Didn't thank Trump. Conservatives got mad. Yes. They weren't expecting a vaccine. I think the Democrats wanted to exploit a tragedy. And of course, the Republicans, everybody wants to do it. Trump got the vaccine through. He got it through quickly. And in the end, it ended up working out fairly well, in my opinion. Now, there are some warnings that have been issued. And so I'm chilling. 
I'm in no, no rush to go out and take a vaccine that has not been FDA approved. I understand emergency use authorization is still okay, but they mention in this article from the CBS source that it means they don't know about long-term effects. And I got to tell you, man, I got food allergies. So what? I suppose the alternative then is take a test. You come up negative. You're good to go. I think that I think this ultimately falls onto the, the, the individual for responsibility. If the government truly wanted to maximize the amount of people who are uh, you know, going to survive or be healthy, then they should let people choose for themselves. And well, there you go. If there are people who don't want to get the vaccine, well, then so be it. It's their choice. And if they get sick and they get put in the hospital, I mean, it's on them. Now, again, talk to your doctor. Your doctor knows better than any pundit or personality or TV doctor or whatever. You're going to tell you what's right for you. But why should everyone else be hindered with having to use this app to travel around or go get tests if there are people who choose not to get the vaccine? It's their choice. They're the ones who, are going to, who, who will get the symptoms, right? I don't think the logic here makes a whole lot of sense. And so that's why I want to bring up Peter Hitchens. He said, I've had the COVID jab and all it cost me was my freedom. He says, so sorry, your majesty, but I, I have had my first COVID vaccination for wholly selfish reasons. I did not do it for the good of others, but for my own convenience. And I will have my second for the same purpose. A very important part of my family now lives abroad, and I am deeply tired of not being able to see them. I get the strong sense that any sort of travel and plenty of other things will be impossible if I don't have the necessary vaccine certificate. I want to stress this point to all of you. When I tr- wanted to go to Venezuela, I had to have a vaccine passport. I think if another country wants to say, you got to have the vaccine, that's their country, man. My issue is with the discrimination and I'm going to say it, racism of the vaccine passport. Think about it. I've heard it over and over again from the left, from liberals, that voter ID is racist because so many people in impoverished communities and minority communities don't have IDs or don't know how to get them. Well, I don't believe that's true. But based on that argument, you think these people are going to know how to get a COVID passport? You think poor people have smartphones? Now, that's my problem here, ultimately. The, The discrimination against poor minority individuals. I believe that we will end up seeing a kind of feudalism, a kind of caste system. The people who are wealthy enough to afford smartphones to get the passport app, congratulations, they'll have no problem. The people who know where they can find their their vaccination center and get their vaccine, no problem. The poor people who lack the ability to take time off of work, who can't get on, who can't find their way to the stores, to the pharmacies, to these vaccine locations, and don't even have a smartphone, fine, they'll print out a piece of paper. Sure. Then wouldn't anyone print out a piece of paper? See the problem here? Ultimately, what I think will happen is you're going to have a whole lot of poor people being barred entry because they didn't have the means that the wealthy, upper-class, progressive suburbanites do. And, and, and so it goes, doesn't it? Giving up your freedom for a jab. But what will this really mean for the poor? The people who are most offended by, who, who want all of these changes for security, uppity, well-to-do progressives and liberals, they want these rules, even though it's a detriment to the poor. I've brought it up many times, but you take a look at the things they protest, you know, for Black Lives Matter. They're complaining about the NYPD in impoverished neighborhoods. They're not complaining about a local sheriff's department for a small town. The police brutality story is always big city, Democrat-run cities, isn't it? Now you think that giving the government in these big Democrat-run cities more power is going to make less institutional racism? 
No, sorry. I think it's going to create absolute. It's going to absolutely double down on all of the institutional racism. It's going to make it harder for poor people to move up. It's going to primarily affect those who have been impacted by systemic and historical racism. What I mean by that is if you are poor and your family is poor and you inherit nothing and you struggle to, sur- to, to survive and you're trying to make ends meet and they add more and more layers to make it harder and harder and harder, they will create their caste system and it will be institutionally racist. So I'll tell you this. You want to get your vaccine passports. First, you've got to build the confidence of the American people, which you don't have. So good luck. Second, you've got to get FDA approval, in my opinion. Third, you must guarantee that impoverished communities are not negatively impacted nor segregated because of this. You do not create a caste system. There's a lot of things they got to do before they make this work. And in my opinion, I just don't see it working. I really don't. But I do think it will happen. And I do think most people will begrudgingly fall in line. But if too many people say no to the passports, they'll never, it won't get implemented. I wonder if that will exist. So let me just say, my ultimate opinion on all of this, I got to tell you, is rather neutral. I wish we were a nation that came together in agreement over the greater good that will benefit and strengthen America. Donald Trump wanted to make America great again. That requires the people of this country working with each other and recognizing shared values. Because we don't have that, no one, well, many people on the left and the right don't trust the vaccine passport. Establishment Democrat types do. And I would love it if everyone did. But we don't. And so what will end up happening is a lot of people are going to refuse to get vaccinated. Look, I'm a fan of the vaccine. I'm glad it got rushed out. I think Donald Trump did a good job. I think he deserves credit for this. And I think vaccines are overwhelmingly safe. I think anyone being honest will tell you there are going to be adverse reactions. There are instances, as they mentioned, of vaccine injury. But it's 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 rare, extremely rare. That doesn't mean it doesn't mean. Listen, I think one of the biggest problems you get is the is uh, with the media that they're mean people. And they'll tell you when you're actually concerned, they'll say, oh, you're, you're dumb. You're an anti-vaxxer. That's stupid. Talk to your doctor. They'll tell you what's right for you. And if and you ultimately make the choice for yourself. I do think that if they want to roll this out, first and foremost, give people the option to just get a test. And if they test negative, congratulations, we're good to go. If it's good for three months, fine. If it's good for six months, whatever, F- figure it out. And then I'll walk in. And I, I went on when I went on the Joe Rogan show, they gave me they gave me one of those tests and I was I was negative for covid. So how long is that going to last? Am I good? It was no big deal. It was this little thing and they clicked it on my finger. I didn't feel a thing. In fact, I play guitar. So I've got like crazy calluses and like she tried really hard to get a sample. You don't feel a thing. It's no big deal. I am not opposed to us as Americans coming together to make this country better. Nay, I think we must. But you have to recognize we don't all agree right now. So I think the negative test thing is good. Fine. The problem with the smartphone app is that poor people and people who can't afford smartphones. I know they're cheap. I've worked in tech for a long time, but there's me a lot of people who don't have smartphones, not going to be able to get it. Homeless people, for instance, we're going to bar them. Man, these are tough philosophical conundrums. They are. Ultimately, I just wish we were honest. And uh, and that means solving this problem is, is going to be about compromise. If many of these liberal types have no problem with the vaccine, by all means, congratulations, you can get it. And then we need to make solutions for those who don't want it because they're still Americans. and They still have rights. We want to protect everybody. Let's just be honest and talk about it. I am not saying compromise with people who are like who, who think crazy conspiracies. I'm saying maybe the issue is if you have the vaccine, you're going to be fine. But let the other person decide for themselves. The challenge here then becomes, I guess, those who want universal health care. That's a whole other conversation. So we'll get into that. 
Go over to youtube.com slash TimCastIRL. We will be live tonight at 8 p.m. talking about the philosophical conundrum that is vaccine passports, among other things. And I want to I want to have an honest conversation. Lastly, and most importantly, if they, if I get anything wrong on this on this on these vaccine things, by all means, fact check me and check with your doctor. Don't take my word for it. That's what everyone should be saying, because you'll go to your family doctor and he's going to be like, well, you know, I like that Tim guy, but he did get these things wrong. Check this out. And then he can back it up for you. When I, I when I go to the doctor and he tells me he's going to give me like hydro, fazo, blah, 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 whatever, you know, a zine. I'm like, I don't know what that word means, but I trust my doctor. So doctor tells me it's safe. Best thing I can do is say, all right, doc, patch me up and send me on my way. And so it's difficult. Yeah, it is. That's the reality. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tonight at youtube.com slash TimCastIRL live. Come hang out. We read your comments live on the show, and I will see you all then. Everything is just getting warmed up, both figuratively and literally. As the seasons change and the temperature gets a little warmer, we're going to start seeing more Antifa versus MAGA clashes. I guess you can call them MAGA clashes or just Antifa attacking random people who want to, like, wave the American flag. Or in, like, one instance, a guy was driving down the street with the Gadsden flag in his truck. They smashed out his window. You see, in Oregon the other day, it was going to be a freedom rally. And they kind of do this every so often where a bunch of trucks will just drive through the city and wave flags. And that's it. And Antifa, being a bunch of lunatics, want to come out, I don't know, like injure and maim people and just be a general nuisance. What ends up happening then is the police do not actually do anything about Antifa, encouraging, emboldening and pushing the line further and further in favor of domestic extremism from the left. At the same time, we hear from the press that the people who are at the January 6th Capitol riot aren't deserving of lawyers and that those who try to raise money because they're poor people who did something dumb, they're, they're not entitled to their defense. Well, they are entitled to their, their defense. I think many of the people who stormed into the Capitol, well, everybody who stormed into the Capitol is, in my opinion, what's the right way to put this? Well, they deserve prison and they will, they will likely get some kind of penalty. However, I want to differentiate between the people who violently attacked cops and those who bumbled their way in and didn't realize what was going on. Now, I bring that up because as we have another incident with Antifa versus, you know, I guess, patriots or right wing individuals, whatever you want to call it. There's a video going around where Antifa begins attacking a vehicle. They throw paint on the windshield. Now, the guy probably can't even drive it safely. They begin banging on the car. He gets out and apparently someone hits him with a rock. So he pulls a gun. And he chambers around and then he tells everyone to get back. He keeps the gun low to his side and he puts up a sand saying, get back. The cops rush in. Thank our lucky stars. The police were here to stop these violent Antifa criminals and put this Trump supporter or MAGA guy on the ground, take his his gun, cuff him and then detain him and take him away. Now, it was initially reported this guy was arrested. He wasn't arrested. And that's good. Now, I'm not entirely surprised the cops see a guy with a gun and they take the guy with the gun. However, you, you recognize the problem here? These Antifa extremists, they're, they're all wearing black. They're flying communist symbols and they're smashing vehicle windows, just violently attacking random people. And this guy who got out with his gun had every right to get out of his car and tell him to back off. And then when they physically attacked him, he had every right to draw his weapon. He didn't draw it on the people. He pulled it from its holster and he chambered around and he said, get back. Now, let's talk about some of this, right? I should probably read this story, but I just want to say this, right? I don't want to bury the lead on this one. He didn't point the gun at people. He didn't hold it up like we saw with the McCloskeys in St. Louis and tell them to get back. 
He kept it low and he put his hand up. The reason why you would have a weapon like this and draw it in this this situation is because you are concerned they may actually present a lethal threat. So he gave him a warning and he armed, he he prepared himself in the event they escalated. He didn't try to kill anybody because he got hit with a rock. He was just telling him to get away from his car because he was concerned they might actually step it up. Why? Well, we saw in, in, it was in Provo, Utah, one of these Antifa guys ran up to a random car and shot somebody through the window, just went up the window and bang. So this guy saying, get away from me, man. Well, they detained him. Now, again, initially it was reported he was arrested. I guess they did detain him, take him away, and then eventually released him and said they're still investigating the incident. I think it's entirely likely this guy is not going to get charged because Oregon is an open carry state and you're literally allowed to carry because you're being threatened. And if someone is literally attacking you, a group of people, like if, if that's not a point at which you can announce that you're armed, put your hand up and say, get back. I don't know what is. Or what the purpose of even having a weapon would be if they're going to arrest you every time you try to defend yourself. Not the first time this has happened, mind you. Well, let's read the story. And then I'll talk about journalist fragility because now we have journalists going after the people who stormed the Capitol. And this is important, too, because everyone is entitled to their legal defense. But there's an interesting phenomenon happening. They mentioned that some of these people have raised like 180 grand. What does that say about what's going on? The media does not represent the interests of a large swath of people, half the nation, perhaps. Well, here's the first story. I'll read a little bit of this and then we'll jump over to to Oregon Live. They say, moment, Trump supporter pulls gun on rock throwing Antifa rioters who smashed his truck taillights, sprayed paint on his windscreen and then surrounded him. They say video captured demonstrators spray painting across the windscreen of the truck, smashing the taillights before the driver steps out with a gun and points it directly at Antifa. I I don't believe that's correct. He, He does chamber around and he's holding it forward and then he lowers it immediately. He did not raise the weapon to a firing position. He had it, I guess you could say low ready is the proper terminology. I could be wrong. They say the tense moment was one of many clashes between left wing and anti-fascist demonstrators and right wing protesters. I just want to remind you guys, the Berlin Wall was called the anti-fascist protection rampart. That's right. These people's these people, the communist types, they love using semantic manipulation to make you think they're the good guys. The Freedom Rally was advertised as an event to honor those who fought for our freedoms. Protesters on the sidewalks and in the streets in Salem threw objects at a number of vehicles who drove uh, by the Capitol with American flags. So you, I'm, I'm sorry, you're never going to be able to explain to me how it is the people driving their vehicles waving flags are the bad guys. I don't care what the flag is. I honestly don't. They could be flying a flag that's got a giant, I don't know, uh, McDonald's, it could be a McDonald's flag. I don't care. You have, free, you have a freedom of speech in this country. You can fly stupid flags and we can really dislike you for what you believe. We can say, you don't, you know, your ideas don't belong in civil society and things like that. But guess what? First Amendment protects the individual's right to say these things. Now you got people showing up and smashing out windows, throwing bricks through windows, smashing taillights, surrounding vehicles, throwing paint at vehicles. I think we know who the bad guys are. It's the large group of domestic extremists attacking people in pickup trucks with American flags. Now, listen. We can talk about what kind of flag they're flying. If somebody showed up flying like, I don't know, a sickle and hammer flag, I'm not going to be a fan of that person. I'm going to be like, yo, that's that's messed up. But they do it anyway. These Antifa people show up with shields with the communist revolution fist and the sign, the Antifa sign, which is literally from the German Communist Party. And again, Berlin Wall called the anti-fascist protection rampart. We know what kind of world these people want to create. They are psychopaths. They think that once they get their world, their utopia, they will be on top. And I mean it. 
I was at Occupy Wall Street. I actually met with and talked with a lot of these organizers. And for those of you that are fans, you may, you may have heard this, but this is important in this context. They say they want to flip the pyramid over. That's what they described it as. That way, the working class will be on top, or so people assume. What they're actually saying is that if you took a stack of bricks in the shape of a pyramid and flipped it over, it would crumble into a jagged pile of bricks with some random working class person on top. Take a look at the fall of the Soviet Union, countries like Ukraine, the oligarchs after the after the, country, the Soviet Union collapsed and the Ukrainians who ran different factories had no idea what to do because the leadership was broken. A bunch of basically mafioso types showed up and said, it's ours now. You report to us. And they instantly became billionaires and millionaires who just run the country from now for, for, uh, from now on. That's what these people want. If they flip the pyramid, it gives them an opportunity to run in guns ablazing and take things they want. It will not be a revolution of the working class. Those people will just suffer. And then whatever order there was to this pyramid will not be disorder and chaos in a just jagged pile of bricks. That's what they're doing. Oregon Live says, dueling demonstrators clash. Are you kidding me, Oregon Live? Dueling demonstrators? You have one group of people who are driving trucks and honking horns and another group that's bringing weapons and and throwing bricks through windows. I guess the cops did eventually come out and push these anti-people out. Several of them did get arrested. The problem is they get arrested and they get cut loose. The system can't sustain itself. This is, this is, it's insane. They say, dueling groups of demonstrators faced off near the grounds of the Oregon Capitol building Sunday afternoon. Police tried to separate them, but skirmishes broke out in the surrounding blocks. Jamie Ding for the Oregonian. How would you describe this as dueling groups of demonstrators? This is, this is what I don't understand. So I'll tell you what we're planning on doing. We're actually getting really close to hiring some writers for TimCast.com. We are going to be having a new uh, a new website rolled out maybe even this week. I know I said that last week, but we're really getting there. The big thing we're trying to make sure we do properly is all the existing for a new website. We have to make sure every existing membership still works. So I think we'll still be good. And that's kind of slowed us up a little bit. But we're going to have articles. I'm going to hire some journalists and we're going to write stories on this kind of thing. We're going to break down the lies and use logic to actually frame what's happening. It is not dueling demonstrators. This is journalists who are either sympathetic or scared of Antifa. They're worried that if they come out and tell the truth, oh, they'll get attacked like Andy No did. Remember that? Andy No reporting on Antifa in a not too positive light. Antifa didn't take kindly to that and considering they're domestic extremists, started beating the crap out of Andy and left him bloody with like a broken tooth and he's got blood coming out of his ears. They'd have killed the guy. I honestly think so. If they were given the chance, they have, they have, I forgot what they're called, like sap gloves or something. They're, they're gloves that have hardened plastic, I guess, punching him, beating him, throwing things at him. And they all laugh about it. And the journalists all defend the behavior because they're either sympathetic or they're scared of Antifa. I think a big factor in why journalists would like why journalists would say something like demonstrators faced off is because they're like, if I say they're violent extremists, then they'll attack me. Well, I'm not afraid to call these people violent extremists. Sorry, I may, may not be a big fan of the politics of some wackos, you know, flying ab- ab- absurd flags like a communist flag or a Nazi flag or something like that. I respect their First Amendment rights and I will criticize them. I'll challenge their ideas and I will rally people to oppose them. I will not show up with bricks and and weapons. That's insane. That's what these people do. The problem is, listen, I'm going to be completely honest honest with you guys. If Antifa actually showed up and they have to actual like neo-Nazi and Klan rallies, when they do that, I'm kind of like, 
I got no problem with that. I actually like it. I do. Now hear me out. There were a few rallies where Antifa showed up and counter protested and they did not get violent. They just presented strong opposition to a small group of, I don't know, what's the right word for these people? Out of time. I'll put it that way. Anachronistic ideologies. Just really dumb fascistic ideologies. I said fascistic because there's differences. But when these people show up, and there were actually a large group of leftists and Antifa types who surrounded this rally and just protested like, go home. I was like, that's good. That's a good thing. You have a right to protest. You can protest other people. What's not good is when they show up with bricks, weapons, guns, etc. Now, you have a right to open carry. OK, so if they if they were all open carrying, fine. And this guy in the truck, he did. But they show up with with these weapons. They know they can create a massive nuisance and they're threatening people who are just flying American flags. Therein lies the problem. If you have someone who this this is how they try and frame it. There's this comic where it's like a bunch of people holding up signs saying racial justice. And then the other side is a bunch of Klan members saying that, you know, they want to kill people. And in the middle is a centrist guy. And he's like, compromise. And I'm like, no one believes that, dude. No one. That is not what centrism is. Centrists are like, hey, look, there's some conservatives with moderate views. I respect those. And there are some liberals and even some far leftists. Well, I don't I'm, I'm not a big fan of the far leftist ideology so long as they're peaceful. Same is true for the wackos on the far right. Stay peaceful, argue, and we'll resist. Centrists just say the left's got a little bit right, the right's got a little bit right. But what they keep doing is trying to frame some regular guy with an American flag like, like a Klansman or a Nazi. No, sorry, you don't get to play that game. A regular working class dude flying the American flag is a regular dude. But they want to shift the Overton window. They want you to associate these people who are getting attacked with the fringe far right. And that's what I really love. You know, I tweeted last week that I finally attained the singularity. And it's because right wing media called me left wing and left wing media calls me right wing. And it's just like, oh, the perfect position, I suppose. What they want to do is they want to force everyone to look at anybody who's, a, you know, the joke is to the right of Mao as far right and fringe. So they establish themselves as the normal, the centrists. They've done this with memes. I think it's hilarious where there's one where it's like, here's how Americans view it. And Bernie Sanders is far left. And then you have like, I don't know, a Klansman or whatever, far right. And they're like, here's the reality. And Bernie Sanders is center left. And then there's nothing on the far left. And I'm like, dude, Bernie Sanders is not center left. All right. And I'll tell you this too. Ideologically, I am, I am not center left. I'm actually pretty far left ideology, but I'm very, very, very libertarian. So I'm like almost, almost anarcho, like communistic. I mean that literally. However, the realities of modern politics leaves me as more of a moderate American because as much as my ideal worldview is like a bunch of hippies on a farm sharing their watermelon together, you know, think crops they grew. I don't think that is, is a grand reality. I don't, I don't think it's possible to attain. So I want to point something out about what they do. So we, we see this happen. We know this guy's getting detained, right? I've had a lot of people who, you know, hit me up and they say, can you promote our brand? And I'm like, do you know the kind of show that I do? And they're like, I don't care. They're all excited. They're like, you get millions of views, man. If, if we had brand, no, I'm not going to do it. You know why? Here's what happens. We put on an event in, in Philadelphia, in the, in the Philadelphia area, in the suburbs. And Antifa called up claiming that it was like a far right event, even though Daryl Davis was our headline speaker who de-radicalizes Klan members. This, the, they threatened to burn down the theater. And so the guy who runs the theater called me and said, we're not doing this. We're done. It's canceled. We know whatever. Then went to the press 
And the press wrote up the story about like, you know, activists successfully shut down event they call far right, blah, blah, blah. And there it is, the framing device. So what happens is the far left knows that all they have to do is make the accusation and the news outlets will report it. Then other news outlets will report it. And then you'll have a series of articles saying an alleged far right event or a far right event and all these other insane things. Now you have 50 articles claiming you're far right, putting on far right events. That's what they're trying to accomplish with these things. So I'm like, listen, I'm not I'm not going to promote anyone's brand. And then the moment some Antifa guy screams that the, the apocalypse is happening, have you come out and make a statement denouncing me because you wanted me to promote you? It's never going to happen. You need to understand what's going on with the culture war. And that's the name of the game, because they will lie about the things I say. And they, and they do. Something really funny happened, you know, in the past week, because I've been tweeting a bunch of just like general leftist opinions. And so all of a sudden, all these leftists are like, what's happening? But they weren't really necessarily leftist opinions. I was tweeting like pro 2A stuff. I was tweeting like trans people should be armed to the teeth to defend themselves from bigots and transphobes. And I genuinely believe that. And they're like, why does Tim say that? And I'm like, I've always believed that. I believe the Black Panthers should be armed. I believe anybody who wants to defend themselves and protect themselves from oppression should have guns. I, you know, I became much more 2A over the past couple of years. And so all of a sudden they're like surprised. Well, here's what's really happening. When I do segments, the grifters, and there's tons of them, will find whatever they think is most likely to enrage the left so they can make money. And they'll pull things from my show that maybe as a moderate, the left won't like. And they'll ignore all the things the left does like. Then all of a sudden, I have someone like Vosh on my show, and I get a bunch of messages from leftists saying like, oh, I, th- I thought it was actually really good. I thought you, you, you're actually pretty chill. Yeah, maybe if you actually watch what I say. And so the people who do, they get it. What happens with these Antifa in the streets? They're trying to do a framing tactic. Two things. First is the, deci- the, the decision dilemma. They want this video of the right wing guy pulling his gun. Either he does nothing and he's beaten down and they say, look how pathetic you are and they keep doing it. Or he defends himself in a reasonable fashion, low ready gun at his side with his hand up. And they say, oh, no, the extremists are pulling guns. Oh, no, what do we do? And they use it for propaganda. The other thing they do is essentially, regardless of the decision dilemma, they will tell the press neo-Nazis and and white supremacists showed up and the press will just say it. That's what they do, either because journalists are sympathetic or because they're scared of Antifa, which brings me to this next story. Check this out from USA Today. Insurrection fundraiser, capital right extremists, Trump supporters raise money for lawyer bills online. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. People have a right to defend themselves. Poor people have a right to ask for resources to defend themselves. In this story, they point out that apparently some people have raised like $180,000, I guess. Here's what they say, quote, it's so predictable and it's never going away, said Megan Squire, a computer science professor at Elon University who studied how extremists raise money online. Whenever there's money involved, it's never going to stop. There will always be something new that pops up. They mention, in one case, a crowdfunding website set up in late 2020 has been adopted by a defendant charged with storming the Capitol, who used it to raise almost $180,000. His was one of eight fundraisers on the site as of last week, and his donations accounted for 84% of the money raised on the platform. Bouncing from one fundraising site to the next because GoFundMe is ideologically uh, ideologically hard left like most of Silicon Valley companies. They will ban you if there's any hint of right wing. They'll freeze your money. They will lie and they will smear you. Here's what you need to you need to be careful for. People need to understand this. If a company, look, Gina Carano, really good example. What did she do? She's the woman from the Star Wars show Mandalorian who got fired. 
She posted on Instagram, stop demonizing your neighbors. That's all she said. She said, in Nazi Germany, they demonized the neighbors so the people were attacking each other. Don't demonize your neighbors. How is it any different? Blah, blah, blah. She did not name any groups. She did not say she was a victim. She said, stop demonizing your neighbors. Disney put out a message saying, we, we reject these bigoted statements targeting marginalized groups. And then news stories pop up saying, Gina Carano fired for disparaging minority groups. That's what they do. Or Disney fires her for, that's what they say. And it's all opinion and it's unfalsifiable. And the people who live in the matrix, who don't actually read the news and don't actually see what she wrote or just want to stay in the tribe, won't think critically. These are the kind of te- techniques and tactics they use. When USA Today writes about these people, these, these, these you know, the people at, uh, on, on January 6th, they make it seem like they're evil for raising money. But you need to understand, $180,000, who's giving that money? Certainly, there are people who do not agree with the media. They even mention that Give, Send, Go featured a campaign for Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot and killed two people. And... Destiny, who is a very, very far left, or I should say very leftist uh, Twitch streamer, defended Kyle Rittenhouse as well. Any honest person who's telling you what happened in these situations is not going to make a blanket statement about extremists. Yet I have these conversations all the time with people who don't read the news, where they're like, well, Kyle Rittenhouse was traveling across state line to hunt down these, these, these poor you know, Black Lives Matter protesters. And I'm like, dude, there is so much wrong with what you just said. And that's the, that's the problem we have in this country. Heaven forbid people in this country actually learn about what's going on or want to, but they don't. Now, there are many people. What's interesting is that they would call me, you know, I think it was Salon or Slate or something, called me a right wing podcaster, even though my ideology is rather far left. um, My policy positions in the United States are center left. I say it's right wing. All they're really saying is that I read the news. Why? Because you'll say something like this. Is it right wing or left wing to be in favor of guns? Socialists believe in guns. The Socialist Rifle Association believes in gun rights. And Karl Marx said, under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. It must be frustrated, but the workers must frustrate this by force if necessary. And the Constitution says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Sorry, that's not a left or right thing. However, they will call you right wing if you defend guns. How does that make sense if I say I'm in favor of universal health care and gun rights? Sounds much more like the Socialist Rifle Association than the NRA, right? Maybe there are some things that regular working class people agree with, even if the ideologies conflict. Now, sorry, Socialist Rifle Association. I think socialism is very, very bad. I understand the root idea of the workers controlling the means of production. I just don't think it works all that well. I think we need still some kind of hierarchical system, though I'm not a fan of the corrupt crony corporatist system we have right now. That needs to be toppled. The establishment elites are a serious problem for a proper functioning of this planet. I think that's something a lot of people on the left and right agree with. How you solve that? I don't know. But that's why I said tax the rich. All of these industrialists who exploit the system, I don't care about. I care about the guy who starts a construction firm and he's making a decent amount of money. Maybe, maybe, maybe even makes himself a millionaire as a real estate developer. I got no problem with that. In fact, I think that's fantastic. He starts a business. He does it. He provides a service. Everybody flourishes. What I do have a problem with Amazon lobbying power, the government then shutting down small businesses so that everyone's forced to go to big box stores, sending all of their money upward into these mass in the hands of a few billionaires. And then you get the, the mass printing of money, which is further spent on Amazon and Walmart and Target. Nah, I ain't about all that. Anyway, I digress. This is where we're at right now. There's a lot to talk about, and maybe I should uh, chill, but I'll point out a few more uh, important points. Richard Hanania 
when Glenn Greenwald criticized this journalist who wrote about people raising money for their defense, he said, I like how the journalist for the USA, USA Today set out to stop Americans from, from being able to pay for lawyers. And the defense of media is actually shame on Glenn, Glenn Greenwald. We don't actually pay her to do this. Is it better that the commissar, commissars work for free? Turns out the woman who wrote that article is an intern and she wrote it for free. Glenn Greenwald made an important point. People have a right to defend themselves, even if you don't like them. They did it for the, uh, uh, you know, people at Guantanamo Bay get lawyers, some of the best, actually, pro bono lawyers. But this woman is writing pro-establishment propaganda. Glenn Greenwald points it out, and they all go after Glenn Greenwald. Why? Journalists are some of the most fragile people I have ever seen in my life. They are overpaid, underworked, and extremely weak-willed. And that's the reality. They're either weak-willed in the sense that they uh, just bend the knee to extremists because they're scared, or they're weak-willed in the sense that they join the tribe because they're desperate for some kind of social acceptance. And here you go. How dare you insult a journalist who's trying to strip people of their rights? I'll tell you this. I jokingly said, Lindsey Graham mentioned he had an AR-15. And I'm like, he was like, if I, if I, you know, if, if, if everything falls apart, and I got an AR-15, the gangs aren't coming to my house because, you know, I can defend myself. And my response is, AR-15, pathetic. We should ban the AR-15 outright. And then the government should provide everybody a surplus M8250 BMG. I'm kidding. The joke was, they want to ban the AR-15. There's a bunch of different weapons you can get that are functionally identical, and they're not AR-15s. It's the stupidest thing ever. And I'll tell you what, you really want to defend your neighborhood, sure. It's called the 50 BMG anti-material rifle. I'm kidding. That's not going to be a particularly good weapon for defending your home. Maybe taking out the Antifa helicopter if at some point they ever get that. I'm joking. They're not going to. I mean, what do I know? I can't, I can't see the future. I'm just saying, well, we need to chill, and we need to be aware of the propaganda tactics, and that's what we're seeing. They want the video of the, there's a video where this guy who pulled the gun on the Antifa people is being released. And they're like, see, if he was any other color but white, they'd have killed him. It's like, dude, you're the bad guys. But they're putting police in this position and it's working and it's getting worse. Well, I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all then. CNN reports the media is slashing jobs again as the Trump news cycle fades and the economy struggles. Well, I can proudly say that with all of your support members over at TimCast.com, we're doing really well. We're actually talking about bringing on some writers and doing some real news, even commissioning field reports. So no, the media isn't collapsing. The fake media is collapsing. And it seems that reasonable people who want to be honest and present factual news and give their honest opinions— Well, they're actually doing really well. This entire media apparatus built up around ragging on Donald Trump couldn't last, and we all knew it. Most of the conservative channels still recognized criticism of Trump. They just presented that counter to the establishment narrative. And of course, there are many people who want to gloat over the collapse of media, but I will say it's not all just the fake news. There actually are very important small town papers being negatively impacted by what's going on in media. But I have to say, my friends, with the Huffington Post and many other outlets slashing jobs. It's actually good news. Now, CNN is acting like it's the apocalypse because they're the orange man bad network. Well, too bad. But check this out from Jacobin. For those that aren't familiar, Jacobin is the it's the go to socialist magazine. And they write mass layoffs at the Huffington Post signal doom for journalism. 
I want to I want to read to you what's happening with CNN. And I want to read you the opinion from the left. But I want to point out one thing first. Mass layoffs, the Huffington Post is it, it does not signal doom for journalism. In fact, my friends, this may be some of the best news we've heard for journalism in a long time. Now, of course, the fake news activists at Huffington Post who write garbled anti-Trump garbage. Yeah, they're losing their jobs. But I will also point out it's possible the first to go are the actual reporters. You see, real news doesn't make all that much money. They want to keep on the crazy crackpots who write fake news rage bait that gets you to click. So it's a double edged sword. But I will point out as the Huffington Post begins to struggle, we may see a return for small town papers. In this post from the Media Post, they say small Kansas City paper runs a blank front page to dramatize its fight to stay alive. I get it. They say it was founded in 1932. I drive through some of these towns and I see these big buildings for their old media industry, these old newspapers, and they're failing. We need local journalism. We need real journalism for your town, for your city. We need people reporting on the corruption of government officials and the good things that politicians rarely, but sometimes do so that we can have a better functioning constitutional republic with democratic institutions. The problem for small town papers like Northeast News is that people increasingly go to the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed for their confirmation bias dopamine hit. And so long as they do, these small papers suffer, which brings me back to the first story from CNN. They report for years, the media industry has been forced to compete with tech platforms for advertising revenue and consumers time. Now, in addition to those same pressures, publishers will see increased competition for attention as the economy opens back up. Last March, media owners reacted to the economic fallout of the pandemic with furloughs, layoffs, and other cost-cutting measures. This March, as the world enters the next phase of the pandemic, four notable brands made major announcements that signified more instability in the industry. First, it was HuffPost, a 15-year-old publication that made deep cuts shortly after a major merger with BuzzFeed. Then Medium, a publishing platform known for frequent changes in its business strategy, pivoted once again and offered buyouts to all of its editorial staff. And then a lesser known but beloved men, beloved men's lifestyle digital outlet, Mel Magazine, was shut down by its owner, Unilever's Dollar Shave Club. Vice Media also cut a handful of top jobs this week, positioning itself as a restructuring rather than a cost cutting move. This is what they always say. But my friends, it is the bloodbath. You see, Donald Trump put pressure on the wound for the media. Vice CEO Shane Smith mentioned before Trump, he said, we're going to see layoffs, man. It's a coming. Trump came around. They found a way to survive, writing rage bait to trigger the dopamine hits of people who don't like Donald Trump. And it was a sickness, an addiction. And I talk to people and it breaks my heart. People who are good, honest Americans who respect the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, love guns and gun safety, but point out that all they say all of these fake things about Trump. And I'm like, man, to begin the deprogramming would be very difficult. And this is true for the for the, you know, the fringe right conspiracy theorist types as well. They've gone off the deep end the other way. Why? They don't trust the media. And if you don't trust the media, you're going to look for other information that confirms your bias. The problem, look, the Q people and all that. There's not that many of them, and they're finding a way to just talk to each other and spread ideas. When CNN and BuzzFeed and Huffington Post are the ones pumping out the insane rage bait, they're driving regular people insane because they're the platforms people actually go to. So it's a good thing, my friends, for journalism that these outlets are fading. They say, 
About 130 million people in the U.S. and nearly 500 million globally have been vaccinated against COVID-19, which means some semblance of normalcy is on the horizon. But this, coupled with the fact that the Biden administration doesn't drive a nonstop news cycle like its predecessor, means that consumers are starting to spend less time on their screens. Some digital media companies also have been preparing to go public, providing an exit for longtime investors, but could be a reason for more job cuts. I think these media companies are looking at the dollar signs and it's just not there. Think about what that means. The Biden administration is not driving nonstop news. That's Joe Biden. You see, Donald Trump was an obsession for so many people. He knew how to drive the media crazy. He knew how to make a hit show. And there were pros and cons to this. In one sense, Donald Trump got more votes than any other sitting president for a reelection ever. 74.2 million. At the same time, the media weaponized Trump's bombastic personality and 80 million votes came in from the other side. And now you get Biden, which was a big, big error on the part of the media in terms of a business strategy. But, you know, maybe business strategy comes second in terms of what they want to write about. I think they genuinely were writing anti-Trump news to make money, in which case it ultimately resulted in, you know, cutting open the goose that laid the golden egg. They helped get rid of Donald Trump, and now they got rid of their own jobs and their companies, and the bloodbath is a coming back. A point of no return, they say HuffPost was losing more money than BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti could stomach. When Peretti announced on March 9th that 47 HuffPost employees were losing their jobs, and HuffPost Canada and Quebec were shutting down. He revealed HuffPost's losses as it had exceeded $20 million last year and estimated it would be a, it would be similar this year without intervention. Woo! How? Wow. This is amazing. $20 million last year? Last year during COVID? During this big political news cycle? Well, I got to be honest, everybody. Yeah, it was really bad. And it was bad for us, too. I remember when the pandemic first hit, I was checking revenue for my company and I was just like, Yikes, man. We had to tighten our belts and, and, and legit. Things started to change around the end of the year, and we saw a massive upswing in demand for political commentary for obvious reasons. Politicians, Trump, Biden, the administration, all the PACs were competing like crazy to get premium ad space on channels like mine. Revenue skyrocketed. And now we're using that to build TimCast.com and make something of ourselves. We've hired more people. Things are going great. If the Huffington Post couldn't figure out if when they're the orange man bad network, how to monetize that, that's shockingly insane to me. At the same time, however, I'm not surprised to see regular news taking a hit. Let me tell you the truth. What I do here, opinion, commentary, analysis, and to a certain degree, journalism. I always say it's maybe like 10%. I do call people and ask for comment on stories. I do call people and email for verification on stories. I've even reached out to the government on several occasions to try and verify certain stories I may see or at least back up some of the claims. And I do fact check and cross reference many of these stories. But it's mostly opinion analysis. So when I come on here and say the media is collapsing, the fall of Huffington Post does not signal doom for journalism. It's great. Well, people like that. At the same time, news itself, straight news, field reporting, very, very difficult, particularly when we were dealing with a political news cycle. People didn't want to see a video of Antifa in the street. I mean, somewhat they did. Sometimes they did. Those things still went viral. They wanted to hear what people thought about Trump and Joe Biden, which brings me to Jacobin. Now, Jacobin is the socialist magazine. It's a reference. The name is a reference to the French Revolution. And I will fully admit I am a subscriber. Why? Two reasons. First and foremost, 
you got to read what the opposition, what, what the people you disagree with are saying. I don't view the Jacobin people as uh, enemies or bad guys. I view them as a group of people with beliefs different from mine that I need to understand. But more importantly, they have defended free speech on a n- number of occasions. So if I had to make a choice between which like leftists would get some kind of prominence, it's going to be the ones defending free speech who I just happen to disagree with on economic policy. But they're wrong on this one. They say, Mass layoffs of the Huffington Post signal doom for journalism. A massive round of layoffs of the Huffington Post confirms that the media industry stands at the edge of a precipice. The only way it can shield itself from the whims of sadistic media baron owners who care nothing for journalism is by looking beyond capitalist ownership. Let me stop right there. Okay, we'll read some of this. But let me point something out. The whims of sadistic media baron owners who care nothing for journalism. Do you think the people who are writing this this like anti-Trump right wing stuff care about reporting real news? Sorry, dude, you're wrong. When Donald Trump was with Shinzo Abe of Japan and they were feeding the koi fish, they, they zoom in on Trump, showing him dump the whole food into the pond. And then everyone in the media is like, I can't believe how how crass and uncouth Donald Trump is. Then we learned it was an edit. Selectively cut and manipulated so that you didn't see Shinzo Abe himself dumping his food into the koi pond and Trump just doing as Shinzo did. Trump did nothing wrong in that regard. The media lied to make money. That's not journalism. Quite honestly, it's the opposite of journalism. So no, when you write Huffington Post, you know, signaling doom for journals and these layoffs, it's the opposite. The more we get rid of this stuff, the more we can get back to articles that are actually news. So that's what we're, we're, we're planning. What we're going to have over at TimCast.com in terms of, written, terms of written articles is going to be some of like, we're going to have a ton of extremely stringent, nearly encyclopedia-esque news stories, a list of our sources numbered similar to how Wikipedia operates. Big, bold letters. This is opinion and analysis. Please check the sources to confirm what you, you, know, what you read in this regard. And then we're going to have links in the article and links to every single source we use. And they're all going to be certified by NewsGuard. That way, y'all can't say we're putting out fake news and we're going to counter these lies. That's coming soon. The new website is launching very soon. They say, given their appalling regularity these days, media layoffs have begun to take on the character of a grim ritual that follows a now all too familiar media layoffs, all too familiar pattern with great pomp. A big industry player, media baron, or venture capitalist will announce a bold new merger or acquisition, often promising to rescue or streamline a failing venture. Within a few years or sometimes a mere few months, this chirpy PR will suddenly give way to the language of hard-headed financial calculus, after which a spate of layoffs invariably follows. In respect to the in respect to the devastate, devastating closures and layoffs announced earlier this week by the Huffington Post struck quite a few familiar notes, acquired last year, yesterday by BuzzFeed, and we, and we know this. I want to stop and point something out. There is an an, an iota of truth to this article. I understand the need to get away from the capitalist media barons and venture capitalists. Jacobin is right. They are. You see, here's what happens. You had a newspaper and the newspaper is subsidized by ad revenue, but they've got typically a strong market position. They didn't have to compete with Facebook or Google or the Internet. So it didn't really matter for the most part what they wrote because the ads would still they would still buy the buy the space because circulation was there. Thus, there could be you know, a Democrat or Republican politician. Now, these newspapers would still try and pick an editorial slant 
Wall Street Journal leans right, New York Times leans left. But they knew that the circulation was going to make some money, and they knew that the advertisements would make them money as well. When that dried up, the sadistic media barons of venture capital or otherwise said, here's an opportunity to make money. And here's how I describe what happened. One day, someone goes to one of these media barons and says, I would like to do an investigation into this corrupt politician. And the guy says, all right, how much is going to cost? And they say, well, we're going to need about half a million bucks. We've got to hire a team of journalists. We're going to need to produce a video of our report and write it all up. I think for the year, half a million bucks. Okay, what's our return on that investment? I don't know. How do you make money off that? Sell subscriptions? Well, hold on. Some of these people are going to be offended because the person you're writing about, they support. They don't want to hear that. And you don't even know if these accusations are true. Sorry, I'm not going to spend this money. There's no return on that investment. You then get a guy walking in and saying, yo, we're going to write Orange Man bad 5,000 times in an escalating exponential with exponentially absurd ridiculousness. It's going to cost five grand and you're going to make a million bucks. And the guy's like, there it is. So what happens? Many of these venture venture capital funded outlets shifted their tone, started firing news reporters, started hiring rage bait reporters, and it was the lust for a quick buck that destroyed these outlets. That's why I'm not a staunch laissez-faire capitalist. I don't believe the solution for the most part is like nationalizing the media. That's probably not a good idea. Maybe having some publicly funded media with some restrictions, I understand. But perhaps what's going to happen now is a hole in the market. Now that these organizations are failing and the Trump bump uh, era has, is, is gone and we're in the Trump slump, I mean, it's no surprise that many people who are following have gone to TimCast.com and become members. And we're getting, point, we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to be launching original shows. Like, I'm going, I'm, we're going to go, we're going to go crazy on this. It's going to be fantastic. Moderate political commentary, fact-checked, sourced, everything. And uh, not woke, but interesting stories and movies. That's the plan. It's only possible because these outlets went nuts. But Jacobin does mention a good point. So long as there are people whose sole interest in these media companies was maximizing profit, they were hiring lunatic extremist activists to write lunacy. They made them money. That was it. Journalism used to be a loss leader, meaning that a newspaper would write a heavy hitting story for prestige. They wanted to be talked about town marketing, doing breaking news on the ground, filming things, marketing. Why? Something happens. I need to know what's happening. We're hearing these crazy reports on Twitter. Here's, you know, John Doe and Jane Doe from TimCast.com reporting on the scene. Do we make any money reporting that? Not directly. But with that, with that reporting, the brand name gets out. We lose money but it helps market for the paper. That's always been how news had operated. And they would try and do commentary and movie reviews in the sports page to create something more interesting and entertaining. In today's day and age, it's all just infotainment. I mean, honestly, so is what I'm doing right here. I certainly think that I do something particularly different from what the media does, but it's all relatively the same. And the main reason is that information is traveling faster than ever. If, if Donald Trump did a backflip off the, you know, the, the stair, the balcony of the White House and landed like superhero landing, you'd have heard about it the moment it happened. Everybody be talking. Twitter would be lighting up. So why go to a newspaper for any of this stuff? Well, people stopped. News became not valuable for many of these outlets. So they shifted and became rage bait trash outlets. 
That's just the reality. Now, I'll be honest. A lot of people would say something similar about me. They'll say, I used to cover things on the ground, and then I started doing news and political commentary. Maybe, but I will say it's different. Maybe, maybe there's just an opposing view. Maybe this is my bias. But one of the big reasons why I stopped going on the ground was because of the death threats and the physical attacks against me and the violence. I just couldn't do it. So, you know, we made efforts to launch, uh, uh, you know, some actual reporting from the ground and get that job done, which uh, we're still planning on uh, expanding. And uh, with this, I'm trying to fact check the media and call out the lies because as news fell apart, we just got absolutely swarmed by a tsunami, a wave crashing over us of fake news. And then every day I tried to report on what was going on, it was becoming harder and harder. I'd go out on the ground and I'd be like, hey, look, this Antifa guy threw an explosive at an old lady. And the media would come out and say, violent right wingers attack peaceful protests. And I'm like, that didn't happen. And then very easily over time, field reporting started turning into me calling out the media. And then with that and with calling out Antifa, the threats turned it into something else. What I want to do now and what we're going to do with the launch, with the expansion of TimCast.com, like I mentioned, sources, very bold and clear labeling of opinion, all of that stuff, comment section, all of that stuff. And we're going to bring on uh, actual reporters and commission actual news reports and do it right. In the meantime, I don't know what Jacobin's idea of, of the solution is. They certainly think that maybe some nationalization. Here's what they say. They say the industry's weakening capacity to sustain stable or gainful employment has consequences that go far beyond the livelihoods of individual journalists or other employees. Taken as a whole, the landscape of American media is trending towards something increasingly consolidated, centralized, and conglomerate controlled. Alt-weeklies are practically dead. Gawker and Deadspin are gone. I think that's good about Gawker and Deadspin. Digital ventures are either struggling or being kicked around like footballs by media oligarchs. Local news is a desert. The buzzards of organized wealth, meanwhile, are perpetually circling the corpses and picking away at whatever meat remains. As Brendan O'Connor, formerly of Gawker, put it earlier this week, in a decade, all media will be the New York Times and the Washington Post. All the former startups will consolidate into a single vice feed conglomerate that publishes a quarterly New York magazine and is owned in part by Facebook and everything else will be Disney and Amazon. And this is where I'm going to say y'all are wrong. We're coming for you. Figuratively, in the business world, we're coming for you. We are going to be doing it right. We're going to be producing content that speaks truth to power. We're going to call out the establishment and these massive conglomerates and their desperate attempts at rage bait, and they will lie about us, and they will smear us, and they will do everything in their power to stop us. That we will not be the vice feed. We will not be the New York Times, the Washington Post, and things are going well, thanks to all of you who are watching. This is my intent. I'm not going to back down because Jacobin gets a lot of it right. You know, they're so close. It is a problem. The centralized, conglomerate controlled, all of this stuff is bad. But Gawker and Deadspin were VC funded rage bait rags. They produced tabloid, they produced tabloid garbage. They didn't speak real truth to power. Maybe at some point they did, but they don't now. The venture capital came in and it changed the game. Guess what? With your support, we don't need it. We're going to grow as quickly as we can. It's not completely easy to do. It would be easier to take a massive investment and then hire on some, you know, CEO type person or, or you know, content person to start developing in the direction these companies went. I ain't going to do it. We are going to make sure it's done right to prevent that centralization that Jacobin points out. 
But you see Jacobin, these writers, they're so close. They're still in the matrix. They view the Huffington Post as the resistance. No, they're a part of that machine and always have been. Donald Trump hated the conglomerate media, the corporate press. So what are you complaining about? Huffington Post is owned by Verizon. What do you think? Verizon losing power means media will begin decentralizing, sort of polarizing, I should say. More and more independent channels will emerge. But these people at Huffington Post and Gawker and all these other, t- other types of outlets are doing everything in their power to crush the, the independent media. No, we are not going to stand by and do nothing because the independent media cast is going to be expanding and we're going to be hiring people and it's going to be very different. Our business model is going to be built upon providing you with the best quality journalism we can provide and commentary. And with paying members, we won't have to worry about advertisements. We'll have ads, of course. We'd be stupid to walk away from it. But like the New York Times, they rely on subscriptions. And there are people who blindly trust them. They're not all bad, but there are problems emerging in the New York Times, especially at the Washington Post. So how about this? Maybe the New York Times, and the Washington Post will take over the media space, but maybe there will be some alternative voices, not just mine, but others. So long as the independent media apparatus in this country survives and makes money, there will be a decentralization because the New York Times, they can't last forever. But I think they're doing well, and I think they may grow more. In the meantime, I think there's actually good news for all of us. We need to get away from the hyper-polarized, hyper-partisanship. Look, you might think that I'm biased because I don't like the Democrats, but I certainly don't treat the, the world like the apocalypse between the fascist far right and the, you know, the ultra-communist or anything like that. I have my bias. I think the woke stuff is insane. I think there is a rise in the far left, but I think for the most part, you have a lot of moderates in this country. And the reason why we're seeing fringe far left on the rise is because of the conspiracy trash of Verizon owned media like Huffington Post, at least I believe they're owned by Verizon. I could be wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. BuzzFeed bought them. There you go. So BuzzFeed, whoever funds them, it's all centralizing. Let's break that apart. So I guess I'll just say this. I didn't promo. I effectively promoted TimCast.com. But uh, thank you all so much for those that are members. Because we're, we're not going to let you down. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to get this job done. There's more to come. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at YouTube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you all then. Hey, you made it this far. Thanks for listening to the full show, or maybe some of you just cheated and jumped to the end for some reason. But uh, while I was recording today, I decided to just press record and jam out a new song I wrote. So I'm going to include it at the end of this podcast for fun. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you all next time.
these walls crumbling with the bricks crashing down tell me when you found out it was all the lies they claim tell me if it was worth it now tell me won't you save me break me out I'm standing on the only road that I found I see Yeah.